Well, it's a wonderful privilege to be able to come together with you on this Wednesday, the first Wednesday in the month of April, 2023. My name is Ron Crawford. I'm coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, and uh, welcome to Wednesday Night Live. If you're not here in Dallas, you don't have the privilege of enjoying this nice weather that the Lord has given us. We had a wonderful rain visitation in the early morning hours. Uh, and um, to me, uh, I, I continue to rejoice in this miracle of North Texas being blessed by rain. You know, <clears throat> when I came here in 1980, there was horrific drought, incredibly high temperatures all through the summer. I mean, every day was over 100, well over 100. It was awful. And for the next few years, drought was the was the word of the day. And uh, I remember that. And it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a glitch on the radar screen. I'm going somewhere with this. But the point is, though, that our God, in combination with the prayers of his people here, I remember when we first started coming against these high-pressure systems that just encamped over the city. I mean, if you looked at any weather forecast for every, from the spring all the way through the fall, every year, you'd just be a big H over Dallas. High pressure. Nothing could get through. And God has changed that. Yeah, it still gets hot. What do you expect? It's, it's Texas. But it's, it's not... Uh, it's not drought. It's not, it's not the way it was. So anytime we have these continuing rain events, I just rejoice because I know that it is God stating, I'm going to honor my people, and I'm, going to, um, I'm not going to allow that high-pressure system that is more aligned with uh, demonic governance over... Um, civilization over the years. You know, that's that was the whole crux of Baal and Ashtaroth and the Queen of Heaven and Dagon and every one of them would focus on a lack of rain, which would destroy the agrarian society. And if you do this and you do this, we'll, we'll send rain, whatever. That's what Elijah, these are the days of Elijah. That's what... Um, Elijah faced and um, we see that from the scripture if we if we take the moment to look and so God destroyed that you know I remember I taught not for the university but every Thursday for several years I went over on the campus of SMU a very dear friend who's since gone on to be with the Lord Thomas Hayward who was a star tenor for the New York Met Opera for many years and he taught there as a tenured professor at SMU and I would go 
every Thursday and have a Bible study there in his studio with students and workers. It was just a really eclectic group of people. And um, I remember talking to them about this kind of thing. And um, I remember stating, let's, let's have a point of agreement right now that this particular measure of oppressive heat and dryness be pushed out. Let it go away. And I remember standing with Tommy and there were four janitorial staff who, who just happened to be African-American folks who knew how to call upon God. They were spirit-filled people. And there were some students that were uh, vo voice majors that were standing there with us. There were probably 30 people in the room. And we agreed. And, and, and in the next day, an unprecedented thing in the middle of summer, that high-pressure system was pushed out and cooler weather came in. And we had rain for several days. And I remember the next week when we came, the, there were not that numbers matter, that wasn't the point, but there were a lot of other people that were in that room because they knew God had worked a miracle. Their friends had told them. And we had, we had a wonderful time that day talking about the goodness of the Lord. So, and in our church here, we would agree on that. And that's been a signature, that's been a signature thing around the world, as you well know. Um, we've seen, we've seen the break of enemy, um, of enemy strongholds that would come against the the fruitfulness of the land and subsequently harm harm the economy and the livelihood of the people and a lot of times it's just weather but god can break the weather but so often the enemy uses that and the enemy does that i mean if you don't believe that, then rip out a lot of the passages in Scripture. Some of you progressives have already done that. So when I see this wonderful 65-degree weather, cool breezes, I'd started to put my, uh, my smaller jackets and my sweaters away, and I'm glad I didn't totally box them up yet because I put one on this morning, and I just drove with the, sun, with the sunroof open, just rejoicing in the Lord. <laughs> Um, the, this is this is wonderful, and it's not the desert. It's not. It, it's just God showing Himself, and we're going to rely on. That. We rely on that, not just for climactic situations, but in so many other ways. God shows Himself, and I I rejoice in this. And this another visitation, and I think all of our lakes are full. You know, since 1980, I don't know, I don't have the statistics of this, but this Metroplex area has grown. I mean, it has exploded in growth. I don't know this, so don't quote me, see, he's lying. I bet you we've doubled in size since that time. Um, <clears throat> and so when you double in size, it puts incredible demand on your your water system and your supply of water and as far as I can see all of the 
tributaries and the man-made lakes and the reservoirs are all full. Yeah, even the, the joke of the Trinity River, it's really not a river, it's more of a creek most of the time, um, is flowing. And to me, that's a sign. Um, and I believe that everything begins in the spirit. These are spiritual issues. The Word of God shows that over and over again, especially in the Old Testament. Um, but I was rejoicing today because the power of the Lord is with his people. And um, I remember every time these things happen, those first years here, and it wasn't just a glitch. This was the way things were. I remember before I moved here, driving down here um, from school, from Missouri, and the in 1977, the water shortage was so bad that when I stopped to put gasoline in my my uh, vehicle in Oklahoma, just north of the border, I asked the attendant if if there if I could get some water just to drink a water, and they sold sold me. A styrofoam cup of water for 25 cents. Water was in such supply shortage. Now that's kind of weird. This was before we had plastic bottles of water and, you know, nobody was toting around hydration flasks or anything of that nature. I just wanted something to drink. And um, I didn't want to load up on Pepsi or Dr. Pepper. I guess it probably would have been there. Uh, I just wanted some water. Did you ever just want some water? Um, 25 cents for a styrofoam cup. And you know what? I paid it. I said, man, does this come with refills? And the old man laughed at me. I said, why, why is this? He said, because lots of people stop here and they want water and our prices are so high. Um, we, we, over, we overuse our quota from the county and then we have to pay exorbitant rates. He didn't say exorbitant. This was a good old, good old guy. And guess what? He did give me second cup when I told him that I was a Bible college student. We talked about the Lord for a few minutes, and I thought he was going to give me my quarter back, but he didn't. <laughs> but he did give me another cup of water. I guess that scripture, if you give a cup of water in the name of a prophet or whatever, you'll get a prophet's reward. I don't know what he would have gotten for a Bible student's reward. Anyway, I digress. I rejoice at the goodness of the Lord, and uh, I believe that we, uh, we're coming into a season where darkness is so prevalent in our nation and in the world that we are going to see the light of God manifest itself on behalf of his people and on behalf of his message. And we've been given the message. I know there are a lot of other Christian groups out there, and I bless them all. But if we don't know by now that what God has given to us as saints, which is a biblical identity, it's, it's so many places in the scripture we don't recognize the remnant nature of this uh, it took many years for me to recognize this because to me 
And, and what do I mean by that? The fact that we would be a remnant. To me, I'm, I'm a Bible purist. That should comfort some of you, I hope. Unless you're listening and you don't believe the Bible anymore. If I see something in the Word, and I'm convinced that it's a, a dominant... First of all, if I see it in the Word, that's important. If I see it's a dominant theme within the Word, that is accentuated. And if, if I recognize that it is the way God is moving, I, I'm sold. And I've never really understood why others who say they believe the Bible, when they're presented with that, don't readily accept what's there in the Word, but instead either become an agnostic with it, or, or standoffish, or maybe even attack it, or try to water it down, or try to, to ridicule the veracity of the research. Or to state, well, yeah, it says this, but what about this one over here? I always thought that if people saw it in the Word, that would be enough for them. But it's not so for Christians. You know, it, it really isn't. And that's another topic. Um, so it took me a while to recognize that what I just said was a reality. It perplexed me for a while. It really did, because uh, we're not cherry-picking verses here. We, whatever we see in the Word, it's, it's borne out through the, the scarlet thread throughout all of the Scripture. And we recognize that it's part of the heart of God Himself. And it just always amazes me. Uh, it, it just really amazes me that... that um, um, that realization that here we were with this splendid truth from the scripture and that it would not be accepted by Christians. Um, and so the, the, uh, the scenario of the remnant, the scenario of the... Um, the fact that the saints were classified as parts of the body of Christ, so that you have you have that characterization. We're not teaching on this today, but it would mention this group, this group, and the saints over and over and over and over and over again in the Scripture. It just showed me that, um, as much as I don't understand, I, I understand it, but I can't really understand it. Why wouldn't everybody want to be a hundred percent? Why would why wouldn't anybody reject? Why would anybody reject the privilege of going hard after God and being more vile than this? Why, why would anybody reject that? Well, there's a lot of reasons for it. Religious agendas, comfort, respectability in the eyes of community. Maybe you have other agendas. Maybe you like the Christian message in the, the megachurch because it provides you a 
a safe environment without having to pay membership fees. You know, it's kind of like a quasi-country club where you got everything. you got child care, you got a circle of friends, you've got uh, sports, athletics, you've got uh, dating, uh, a dating pool. You've got all these things. And I, I'm not faulting that, but it just amazes me that uh, you, you have selective, and God allows this. It amazes me, but I see it. God allows it. You can, you can produce 30, 60, 100-fold. We've looked at what those terms mean. They're not percentages. Um, they're classifications from the Scripture. But why wouldn't anybody want to go on to be a joint heir? And then you've got apologists who say, well, when you're born again, you're, you already have all this authority. When you're born again, that's, a, that's, the, that's the foundational thing. But that's like saying when a baby's born, suddenly they have the capacity to do anything in the family they want to do. They can, from the time a baby is born, they have access to all the finances. Yeah, they can drive a car. They can own the house. They can do anything. Well, no, no. You've got to earn those things. You've got to show that you have a measure of maturity. You've got to become trusted by your family. Um, and so the sliding, the, 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 the scale of development and growth into maturity that is listed in so many places in Scripture, why wouldn't anybody want to be the trusted son? Why wouldn't anybody, everybody want to be the joint heir? Why wouldn't everyone want to embrace this calling of being the friend of God, the, the saints of the Most High? Why wouldn't every Christian want that? Who's to say? Um, but it took me a long time to recognize that what I just said was true and it baffled me to agree and now I believe that God by virtue of the people and the places that God has opened for us around the world and uh, the groups of Christian people who are looking for more in God and they they want the depth of the word and they're willing to to be hearers of the word and doers be doers of the word and not hearers only. Boy, that's a key scripture. We, we, have to, we have to recognize what we really are scripturally and not lament um, that everybody else isn't following along. I could give so many illustrations of this. Um... I, uh, but I, let's get back to what I feel we need to share from the Word today. So I rejoice in this weather, rejoice in the rain. Um, you know, we've had tornadic activity that sprung up around us, but God always protects us. He's given us authority. I, I remember... I was first learning this 
um, when there was a big thunderstorm. I mean, it was rough. And I, this is many years ago, I went out in our backyard and stood and just lifted my hands and the rain was coming down. I just enjoyed it so much. And I spoke into that, that system that you could see on the radar. You could see it coming and it was just right. It was coming. It was barreling through. It wasn't about to dissipate. It was barreling through. And I lifted my hands and I gave thanks to the Lord for the rain. I gave thanks to the Lord for the, the thunder and the lightning and what that represents in Scripture. And, and I, I spoke into that storm and I commanded it to veer off and not harm anybody, but to veer off, not to affect any of our people, not to affect in a bad way my household, not to affect in a bad way the... Um, uh, the church, the properties, and just had a wonderful time. I came back in and my clothes were wet, and um, I I was just happy in the Lord. I probably looked like an idiot, but nobody saw me. My daughters knew better than to, than to <laughs> they weren't thinking my dad's gone nuts. But the thing was that... Um, you looked and they said well this is really interesting this front has veered off to the north and it's dissipating we really they one guy said we really dodged a bullet here i don't really know how this happened our projections um our projections uh, said that this was coming through and all the tornadic warnings and everything that were, were given were were based on undeniable things and they were just so happy and one of the women says well thank God this changed. And another guy said, yeah, thank God. He's the only one could have stopped this. Well, he did. So it's, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting moment. So we're going to celebrate here at the Father's Church this coming Friday, Good Friday, of course. Uh, we'll have communion elements prepared here in our sanctuary. And we invite our congregation to come as they feel led to come, uh, to spend time with the Lord, participate in communion. Um, you know, I, there are some times that we have gatherings that are scripted and we'll say, everybody come. Um, and I appreciate that. But many years ago, I felt the Lord say, you need to start laying before the people things that are going to be available for them and let them come to me on their own and meet with me. A lot of people are uncomfortable with that. If they don't have something hopping or somebody to, to be the stalking horse for them, they, they don't know how to seek God. If you're going to be a son, you're going to have to know how to stand before the Lord without mommy and daddy or, you know, some, some heralded person uh, that knows how to pray, you got to find the Lord. And so this coming Friday, come, seek the Lord. Whether You know, some of my favorite times here where I come into this sanctuary and there's nobody here. Oh, dare I say, 
there's not even any music on to help me to get in the mood and to feel and know the presence of God and to see the greeting and the welcoming of me into the things of heaven and to recognize the creation, this estemi that God has planted us in, to feel it, creation groaning, is for the manifestation of the sons to coordinate and, and to commune with God. I said, well, I don't feel that. Why don't you? Not for, take the word feel out of it. Why don't you know, after all this time, that that's what God does here? Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. There are a lot of times I come in here and I feel nothing in the natural. There are a lot of times that I come in and I'm tired or scenarios are taxing on me, and they do. They do to everybody. And I spend time with the Lord. I Many times I think, well, you know, I, I really need to get out of here. I need to go do something. I, I think I've got this task to do. I should just go. And I admit that at times I do that. But then I feel the yearning to come back in. So you you need to establish your relationship with God. He died for you. He gave himself for you. You've got the deposit of the Spirit of God within you. Know that and let it breathe before him. And so come this Friday and I'll I will find a way for it to be also available on Saturday morning as we come to pray again so may God bless you on this time that's this Friday and so God has shown us so many wonderful aspects of what Jesus did for us leading up to the cross and what he did for us at the cross. And today, I felt that we should explore a couple of things that I feel have great bearing on where we are right now. And so, to do that, we consider what Mark wrote in Mark chapter 15. Now, if you're a student of biblical history, the history of the Bible, you recognize that most scholars believe that Mark was the first out of the gate, so to speak, in writing any of the accounts of what he had witnessed in the ministry of the Lord. Now, the problem comes when other scholastic people start trying to make more out of that than they should. They, they say that the other gospel writers plagiarized Mark or, you know, it, it's just crazy to think. But I do believe that Mark did write 
and record immediately. Um, I know that Luke was a resource of incredible import in that he was a physician and he came and interviewed and knew the people and he provided the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Where would we be without that resource? I'm sure we'd still be in the Lord, but that is an incredible gift. John, of course, was John. He saw things from a totally different perspective. From my feeling, I think John would probably have been booted out of most modern churches, certainly out of progressive churches. Why? Why would John be that way? Because he had a passion for the Lord, and he wrote things that were hard for some people to admit their veracity. In other words, they just discredit because John wrote the gospel, he wrote his epistles, and he wrote a little book called The Apocalypse, The Revelation. And some of that stuff that he wrote, you hear some of these commentators and how they just rip it to shreds. I, I think you do, you walk a dangerous pathway when you when you do that. But John was John, and he knew the Lord arguably closer than just about anybody. You can throw in Mary Magdalene, you can throw in his mother, you can throw in Peter, but John, John was really endeared to the Lord. Even the disciples said, this is the one Jesus really is closest to. Matthew, a tactician, a numbers man. I value what Matthew wrote. Some people say, well, this is for the Jews. I think Matthew, and when you say that, first of all, Matthew is a tax collector. He was not popular with the Jews. <laughs> I could go off on that, but he was Jewish, and I'm sure that he wrote hoping that uh, the Jewish community would accept Christ. But if you're if you're not if you're not appreciated by a community, why in the world would somebody think you wrote? just for that community just think about it just just think about it but mark mark was the the first scripted and i appreciate that I'm not saying he's more accurate i'm just saying that he offers a crisp unvarnished not that any of the other scriptures are that this was just I better write some of this stuff down. And he did. Now I, I'm gonna go back to Matthew for a second. I'm sure just like just like me, I you know, I was raised in the midst of a Pentecostal church that is really a denomination that swore up and down that it wasn't. 
we toss around names like movement, but you don't really move anywhere, so it's stopped being a movement. And, and I can understand that, you know, if you take the step of wanting to have more in the midst of a people who think they've got it all already, that they don't like you. And I can understand the desire to say, here is why I am what I am. This is my scriptural base and I think that it unequivocally stands up to any measure of scrutiny biblically. I can understand that. I remember when having times where I was trying to present a reason for what is believed among us at this church to officials who basically called us in on the carpet. Why? I don't know. I think, I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was because we talked about angels. We, at some times in our worship, were more free. Um, and we also believed in the other gifts of Pentecost, dreams and visions. And, heaven forbid, when we prayed, we laid on the floor. Proscuneo, which is a biblical term used over and over and over again. So I'm sitting there and I'm trying to describe these things to these brethren. And we're going through scripture. I'm going through scripture. What, what about this, they'd say. What about this? We hear you do this. And I said, well, I'm glad you brought that up because... It's really something that the Lord showed us from the scripture. And, and I started going through the scripture. I mean going through the scripture. Quoting some, reading some, and they're just all looking at me. And I thought, okay, this is great. They really want to know. And I realized they didn't really want to know. They discounted the scripture. And this happened over and over again. And finally, the leader of several of the meetings, in one of them, he said, well, I can see your argument. Well, it wasn't my argument. It was a scripture, but that was the word he said. But I'm just having a hard time wrapping my hands around it. And I thought, that's an interesting phrase. Um, so I can understand how Matthew would want to begin his gospel with the lineage of Christ, I mean, and then just detail things. But to say he wrote for the Jews is kind of a twisted thing since, again, he was a tax collector. He wasn't, he wasn't on their Christmas card list. <laughs> they didn't have one. He wasn't on their Hanukkah card list. Um, but what he, what he did was he wrote a justification of really all of those Jewish Christians. If he thought any of those high priests was going to read what he said, he knew better than that. In fact, here we are in Mark. You thought we'd never get back there. And it says in Mark chapter 15, um, let's see, where should we start? 
Verse 25, it was about the third hour and they crucified him, and the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on the right and the one on the left. That the scripture would be fulfilled, he was numbered among the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save thyself, come down from the cross. Well, that's very interesting because in a little over 30 years, well, maybe, let's be pure, within 40 years from this time, when the legions came in in 69 AD, this was done. The Romans obliterated the city of Jerusalem. They took the things from that temple and paraded them back down to Rome. If you don't believe that, go and visit the, the Colosseum. Go and see the Forum and see the depictions that are scripted there of what that legion did in bringing that wealth down into Jerusalem. You have a menorah that they're shown carrying. You have all kinds of other things. And the very things that these guys mocked were, were in real time coming within the generation. And that treasury helped build the Colosseum. Now that's not a fanciful view. That is stated. Go to Rome. Look at it. It's there etched in stone. So that, that's interesting. And of course, they're talking about rising in three days. Of course, he, you know, you, you accumulate that. He said not one stone will be left. And then he, he referenced that he would rise again in three days. But you know that. So, likewise, the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe and they that were crucified with him reviled him. So here you have naysayers. They're in every crowd who don't really understand what's going on. They just believe the momentum of what's popular and they join in the fray. We see that a lot in our country today, don't we? We have these religious leaders that are there and they know what the message is about the Messiah. They know that what is written up there that infuriated them um, was inscribed above Jesus' head on the cross. It infuriated them, um, but they say what it was. Religious leaders are going to have to answer for what they know. And they're going to have to answer for what they discredit and what they try every way they can to stop. Verse 33, when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. 
this is very interesting because you got a three-hour window or shy of three hours where this darkness, this scotus comes. And it's not the Supreme Court of the United States. SCOTOS, how about that? Of course, that may be, that acronym could be true. <laughs> um, this darkness, this word is used throughout the New Testament, and it usually speaks about things that God is doing that are kind of hidden, and that light shines out of it, or secret things can be found in it by the directive of the Spirit. But it can also speak about people who love that that very thing where light could come or something could be discovered, but they they love just the innuendo of not knowing, the gray area of just anything goes. I don't want to make too much of this, but some people say that this could just be the gathering of the demonic forces to witness the crucifixion of the one that they detested. We don't have a lot of clarity to say one way or another. I think it's a combination of many things. But in light of what's coming next in this passage, let me just say that I think this word means that when Christ came to be the light, he created this scenario where people could find the light or not find it. It's up to them. And he created this opportunity for God to do phenomenal things that created the possibility for sonship, created the possibility for God to partner with people and to fulfill through Christ and only through Christ that privilege of partnering with God according to what God in, in, had envisioned and put forward from the foundation of the world. And, and I, I think that, as is so often the case, this was kind of like a theatron. It's a biblical term, spectacle. It, it's stated, read it, study it for yourself through the New Testament. Where when God's going to reveal something regarding his ecclesia, he allows the enemy to see it so that there's no confusion. And at this point, the discussion was about, you can read it, Christ, Son of the living God. And the Jewish leaders, the religion, saw it. The tongue waggers saw it. Others around there saw it. This was the topic of the moment, of that moment. And it's the topic for us today. Will you be a son? Will you partner with God at his throne and receive the anointing to accomplish what he's wanting you to do in this world? Or will you dwell in the, in the darkness? The truth can be found. But will you love the innuendo and the, the lack of accountability and the anything goes of darkness? You know that darkness covers the earth, gross darkness the people. Um, you see the rule of law disintegrating here in the United States and in other parts of the world. 
this put aside your political affiliations right now have you have you seen what world leaders in other countries are saying about a former president being brought up in forgive the pun trumped up charges in the New York City with a DA that's funded by George Soros whose campaign promise was he was going to get Trump have you seen or read any of the opinions that are being put forward by world leaders president of a Central American country said in commenting on this America has lost its the, the, the leading value that it presents about democracy and is become no better now than a third world country why would we trust its de de democratic views it's, it's just crazy but we see this happening to where the rule of law is not liberty and justice for all it's for a certain ideology and if you're not in the in the right light of that you're done religiously there was another case i believe it's in georgia where 200 methodist churches conservative methodist churches which basically says we're not racist we're not misogynist we're not any of these things we just believe what what the scripture says and we want to be that we're not trying to harm anybody else but in our churches we want this and they're having to go to church to court 200 churches for the right to leave the progressive fellowship of the united methodists or the methodist church whatever synods those are and to keep their property and to worship god in the way they feel he has given them in the word this is happening all over are you not paying attention to it darkness is already here and so i think this was like a theatron where this darkness with many different ramifications came and it took a while three almost three hours but then this verse 34 at the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying Eloi Eloi lama sabachthani which is being interpreted my God my God why have you forsaken me now let's talk about this and we've written on this um, and talked about it from the standpoint of him being Emmanuel Elohim with us he's really calling out for Elohim um, why would he use an Aramaic Chaldean word here? Why wouldn't he say it in pristine Hebrew? He said this for the common man, and not just the common men and women. He said this for people who were willing to go into the deeper things of God. And anytime you talk, or anytime you see a Chaldean phrase brought forth, Daniel was written with a lot of these. You recognize that it is a, 
it is an extension of the Spirit to say, let's open ourselves to things beyond the natural, to the things of God, not the things of the demonic, not to the things of crazed people who accept anything, but that there is there is something beyond, and it's God. This phrase, the way it was said, was not understood by probably a lot of the Jewish leaders who were there, certainly not by the hoi polloi that were there. They didn't even understand what he said. Some heard it and they said, Behold, he's calling for Elijah. <clears throat> Clearly he wasn't calling for Elijah. <clears throat> and this is quite an interesting thing because to me, he was talking about he was Elohim with us. He, that's what Emmanuel means. He was that. He is that. So the concept of Elohim turning away is not feasible. And I've said this in the past. Some people say, God, there's so much sin. God had to turn his eyes away from his son. Have you ever had kids or grandkids? Would you ever turn your eyes away from your child if they were in need? You know, our little grandson has this rash. Lots of kids get it. We could have bound and rebuked and cast it out. But he's, he's getting over it, and it'll strengthen his immune system. But it didn't look good. He didn't know he, he didn't recognize he had it. And I, you know, I could have said, oh, I can't look upon that. I won't look upon you, little boy that, I, that we love. No, you, you, you're extended to your children in those moments. You may not like what's happening. It may in some way sicken you. I've seen little kids that have just had gross stuff covering them. You know, you got to clean it off. You take responsibility for that. There, every point of this sacrifice, God the Father was viewing, lest the enemy say, well, you know what? You know, when you were looking away, he really didn't do this. And the enemy would have said that. This was something in that point of darkness, in that point where he was reaching out to, in language that spoke to people who wanted more of God. They weren't just passers-by. They weren't in it for the convenience. They weren't in it for the religious world. They wanted God. And this, to me, was God crying out from the heart of Elohim about the fact that he wanted his people to know him in the depth of who he was. And in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of that rejection, this was a sacrifice for every one of us 
who in the midst of religion, who in the midst of convenience, who in the midst of hatred, in the midst of violence, in the midst of um, darkness and all of its forms, want God. This was Christ making possible for people like that, like you, and dare I say like me, who want the heart of God in the midst of all of that. Why did he say this? Lama Sabachthani? Well, that speaks about forsaken. It also can mean lost. It also can mean deprived. You look, look it up sometime. Carefully chosen word in a carefully chosen derivation of language. We talked about the first line in what is known as the Beatitudes. and We talked about what it meant to be poor in spirit. And in, in that uh, reference to the kingdom of heaven. This was an appeal for that dimension of God and his righteousness within us. That it would be brought to life. To me, this was the born-again factor on the cross. Yes, I recognize sacrifice. Yes, I recognize sinless. Yes, I recognize redeeming the curse. I, I, I see all those. You do too. I'm not denying any of them. But this here, if you just simply toss it off as all of hell came and, you know, evil was just so sinful on Christ that God's eyes had to look away. You're, the convenience of that is not expressing what reality would say. I remember I told you this story about when I was six years old, there were a bunch of bullies that started um, kind of accosting me on my way to school because I walked to school alone. Imagine that in these days. And they would steal my lunch money. I, I One day a week, when there was a women's meeting at the church, my mom wasn't going to be home for me to come home and eat. We had a lunch break and everybody went. Nobody stayed at school in my elementary school. It was a big school. And they'd take my money. And I'd go on to school. I didn't go home crying. And one day after a couple of weeks, I just told my mom, can, can you make me a sandwich or something and just leave it here and I'll come back home? Well, she didn't want me coming to an empty house. Why do you want that? Because she knew I liked having that dollar because I would eat and use the residue of that. As you know, I've told this to buy baseball cards or comic books or stuff. And I told her, well, what happened the next Friday was my six foot three father walked with me to school. And he saw these guys that I identified and he walked over to them very graciously and said if you do this to my son again 
I'm going to come back. You're going to deal with me. And I'm going to find your fathers and tell them. It didn't happen anymore. I remember the next week I walked. And those boys saw me. They didn't say anything. They didn't walk near me. Now did my father say, Oh, it's just you're surrounded by evil. I can't even look at it. You could give your own examples, but the nonsense that is often said religiously makes no sense here. What comes next? Let's go on ahead. Uh, this is at the end, verse 37. Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Another passage says, Into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. We've preached on that, talked about what it meant. At that point, across town, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, which again spoke about us knowing the deeper things of God and partnering with him. Verse 39, And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? and gave up the ghost, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. Why would he say that? Now, another passage talks about the great earthquake. You do realize that the Roman armies were largely comprised of people that were conquered. And if you had the responsibility as a centurion for this heinous task um, of crucifixion, likely you were not appointed by Rome. You were not somebody that was politically connected. You probably had conscripts and people that were indentured soldiers. You had the bottom of the barrel task. Now, we don't know a lot about this man, but I would imagine that he understood fully from wherever he was from, whatever his upbringing was, exactly what Jesus said. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. I can't prove this, but he watched them talk about Christ. We watched the religious leaders mock. He knew that the topic that was written by the Romans, king of the Jews, he knew that. And he recognized that they were mocking him about being the anointed son. And then when he heard what Jesus said here, don't underestimate that. Others may not have known what he said. This man obviously knew. And he saw the things that were going on and he said, of a certainty, this man was, is, the Son of God. If nobody else in that morass of people understood the meaning of what Jesus said, because again, Let's look at it. Let's go back to the words, shall we? When he saw that he so cried out, 
when he saw that he cried this particular thing out thusly, and he recognized the giving up of the ghost, that Christ would be able to say, into your hands I commend my spirit, and at that moment, die. Who has the power to do that? I've seen people suffer for a long time. Maybe you have too. But to be able to say, it's finished, I commend my spirit, and be gone. These men had seen, I don't know how many people crucified. Who has the ability to say, all right, enough is enough. I'm done. I'm gone. This man saw that, and he knew this was not only rare, this probably never seen that before. Who would have seen it? I, I'm just astounded by this. But that message, in that unique expression, a mix of Aramaic and Chaldean, about the depth of Elohim within Emmanuel. And, and to cry out in that way about how that had been deprived to God because Jesus was fully man, fully God, still is. Well, maybe not fully man now. He's the risen Christ. But you can debate that. But he was then. He was then, underscore was. He was crying out to God, from God, about knowing the depth of the heart of God and going into the, the deeper things of the Spirit. Chaldean Aramaic, so that the common man and anybody who wanted to hear it, who really could understand it, would recognize that was the sacrifice. And that at the same time, Mark sees fit to say the veil of the temple rent from top to bottom. What does that mean? Is it just that the old covenant is now being displaced with the new? There is no separation between man and God. Oh yeah, well what went on in that holy of holies? It's where were people met with God face to face, where they met with the angelic face to face, where they communed with God on behalf, or it should have been, with what God wanted to do on this earth. Suddenly now, in true Chaldean fashion, Daniel-like, this is available to anybody who wants it. In the midst of that darkness, that's an offer that is made to you and to me. Think of it. Isn't that wonderful? So, whether nobody else in that cacophony of people, they obviously didn't recognize or understand what Jesus was saying, and he chose his terms perfectly. He had already spoken to those religious folks that were gleefully seeing it. He knew the enemy around. He didn't need to speak to them. He would already dealt with Satan. In fact, had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
He wasn't speaking to the hoi polloi that were there just there for the public hanging. He said those words for you and me. He said them to God. He said them about knowing the heart of God. And he said them in a language that was for the people, but for those in the people who wanted to go and know God in ways beyond what the norm was, or, or perhaps what the normative experience for religion was. That's, that's around today. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing people who legitimately love the Lord but there are lots of those who don't want to have anything to do even with speaking in tongues, even with the visitation of things that God says should be happening in the scripture. But some will hear. Some are actually interested in what the Bible says about those things. And this centurion understood carefully whether nobody else around there understood he's the voice of the Gentile world he's the voice of you and of me and of any Jewish people who want to go deeper in the Lord because John and the women were certainly of that of that uh, identity this centurion heard him say that Somehow it struck a chord deep within him. He knew that language. He knew the Aramaic and he understood the Chaldean. He knew he wasn't calling for Elijah. He knew he was saying exactly what he was saying. And then he saw the Lord, these two things. When he heard that cry and he understood what was so said. And he saw this man on that cross say, into your hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. And he died. Those two things made this centurion say, this was the Son of God. It wasn't because of the earthquake. It wasn't because of the graves opening. It wasn't because of whatever other manifestation was there. Mark says, I keep saying this because some of you will say, well, yeah, this was happening, this was happening. Mark says, and the centurion who stood over against him saw that he so cried out exactly what he said, and he saw him give up the ghost, and then he died. Those two things. Truly, this man was the Son of God. Isn't that interesting? So, what does this mean for you and me? Let's keep pressing into our Father to know His heart and to actually believe what He says, even if it's beyond what our experience has afforded even if it's beyond what our convenience affords, even if it's beyond what our natural mind 
initially is willing to go along with. The scripture says that that capacity within each of us will always, well, not, not always, will be prone to be at war with the things of the Spirit. Will we go further? Will we go beyond religion? Will we be, go beyond the crowd? Will we go beyond the government? Do you, do you think about this too? This centurion was under leadership. And for him to say that Pilate crucified the Son of God was a heretical statement. It, it might have been viewed as insubordination at the very least. That the Roman leader that this guy was under actually commissioned and sent to death the Son of God. Whoa! Rome didn't take kindly to their leaders being questioned that this man's words had some weight to them from a personal perspective. Well, there's so much in the narrative, the biblical narrative of the crucifixion of Christ. For us as Christians, for us who want the full benefit of being born again, for us who want to see the word of God fulfilled as we serve him, this particular segment of Calvary, the place of the skull, Golgotha, the Gal Galal, the cutting away the, of Gilgal, we want to go through to the point of sensitivity to God, having the outer things cut away so that we might know God. So as you seek him this week and love him and thank him, we do thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We love you. As you seek him this week, think on these things. And as you seek him this week, let's, um, let's take special notice of this section of the crucifixion narrative. Don't forget this Friday to my saints family here at the Father's Church. Don't forget to come and spend time with the Lord, partake of communion, fellowship in Him, and don't forget prayer this Saturday. Until then, God bless you. Thanks for joining, and goodbye.